Well, this past week, I uh, stumbled across a website that was describing various words that Americans misunderstand. Uh, words such as bemused. Uh, some people use bemused when they really mean amused. For instance, if you're watching a cartoon and you're amused by it, it means you find it entertaining or funny. But if you watch a cartoon and you're bemused by it, it means you find it bewildering or confusing. Uh, another word that they pointed out on this list was the word hone. Now, some people use the word hone when they really should be using the word home, not your house, but to home in on a solution means you're getting closer. The word hone means to sharpen, like you want to hone your writing skills. Another word that I think people misunderstand is the word Aaron, E-R-I-N. They think it's a girl's name, right? <laughs> Thanks for actually laughing. I thought that one might bomb. <laughs> but there's a word that I realize that I misunderstand, and that's the word adore. Because when I hear the word adore, I immediately think of adorable. And when I think of adore and adorable, I immediately start thinking of videos or pictures of little baby puppies or kittens or little animals or even just babies themselves. Because inevitably what happens in the bird household when a video like this is shown, someone in my family will say, oh, isn't that adorable? <laughs> now it is adorable, but this is not necessarily what the word adore truly means. The Oxford Dictionary says that the word adore means to love and respect deeply, to honor, even to go to, as far as to, to, to worship and to venerate. This is what it means to adore. And, and so when a rock band is leaving the stage after their concert and they wave to their adoring fans, they're not waving to a bunch of people that they think are small and cute and, and precious. They're waving to people who love and respect the band and, in a sense, are worshiping them. But it isn't just people or cute little animals that we might adore. It, it can also be objects. I, I mean, I know people who would, you could almost say that they adore their phone or they adore their new car or they adore their new house. Basically, when you adore something, you're saying that this person, this object, this group has my affections. I feel an emotional connection with them. I am filled with awe when I'm in the presence of this thing or this person. Well, as your pastor and friend, I want to help you have an emotional connection with God. And for many of us, a way to connect with God is prayer. But what I want for you is that you don't just go through the process of saying a bunch of words to an unseen God, but that instead you would adore him so that you feel like there's an emotional connection with your God. And when you adore him, you are filled with awe and it creates that connection that I think all of us are looking for and longing for. That's why today we're going to begin a four-part series on this idea of prayer we're going to look at what I'm going to call the Acts model of prayer. Many of you have heard of this before. I'm going to describe it in just a minute. But today, as we start this series off, we get to look at this idea of adoring God. Because I think when we adore God, everything else begins to fade. And we begin to find the relationship with God that I think we all long for. So as we get ready to jump into the scriptures, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
we want to adore you today. Some of us are walking in this room and things are going great. And so the idea of adoring you, of worshiping you, of, of loving and respecting you, this, this is easy. Some of us, though, uh, this is going to be hard uh, because you feel distant. Uh, you feel foreign. Um, you don't feel close. And so, Lord, I pray that you would crash in through our feelings and you would help us to see who you truly are and what you have already done and that that would help lead us to adore you. And so, God, I pray that you'd work not just through my words, but beyond them, that this would be ultimately about what you have already said in your scriptures and what you want to say to us today and that you accomplish in our hearts and our minds what you have set out to accomplish in your people. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. And amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you today, uh, whether a paper copy or digital, go ahead and open it up to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. As I said, today we're starting a series called Acts of Prayer. We're going to just spend four weeks looking at this topic of prayer, and we're going to be teaching you just one model of prayer. Uh, the Acts stands for Adoration, Confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And we're going to take each letter each week. What I like about this Acts model of prayer is that it is not a formula. It's not like a bunch of prescribed words. It's not like I'm I'm handing you a a piece of paper saying, just pray this. It's just kind of a a model, a guide. And and it allows you the freedom to to think through. But for for many of us, prayer is difficult. Maybe it's because we just it feels weird to talk to like an unseen God. For some of us, it feels weird because we just don't know quite what to say. Like we're just not as eloquent as, you know, some of those other people that they just seem to pray so easily. But for me, it, it can be hard. Or, or maybe if you're like me, you start praying and then all of a sudden your mind just starts drifting. You start thinking about what you need to do today. What, what you know, you start realizing, oh, I'm hungry. I want to go eat something or, you know, I, I want to watch the game tonight or are we going to watch this movie? You know, your mind just starts to drift onto all these other things. And something like this Axe model, it just kind of helps you kind of stay put. And now some of us, we, we do fine with pre-written prayers. But like me personally, I, I don't do as well because when I read that prayer, they're my words. And I just feel like I want to have this emotional connection with God. I truly want to adore him. I want to be in awe. And so I don't do as well with the the prescribed prayer. But the Acts model, it's not telling you exactly what to say. It's just kind of saying, hey, here's an idea. A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. If you're like me, oftentimes when you do come to prayer, it's often starting with kind of a me focus. (laughs) My, My prayers often start off, God, would you help me? Or, or God, I, I, I need this. Or if I'm really trying to impress God, oh, most holy heavenly father, I really could use, and then I make my request. But this Acts model, it, it kind of flips things around. Now, now I don't want you to, to mishear me. I, I'm not saying, hey, you, you should be judging me as this really self-centered creature or feeling like I'm judging you if you pray the same way. Because the S in our model, supplication, It means to bring your request, saying, God, I need you to supply me with this. And so I think it's okay for your prayers to have kind of this me focus. Because you're, in a sense, saying, God, I need you. I'm dependent upon you. And so you're thrusting this on to God. And I think God is honored in that. But notice where the S is in this model. It's at the end. Rather than starting with, God, help me, 
it puts it at the end and it helps to just frame things in a proper perspective. And it sometimes then changes how we bring our personal requests to God. And that's why I want to come to the Psalms. The, the Psalms are basically, if you ask uh, some Jesus followers, or, you know, people who know the Bible well, hey, where would you find some prayers in the Bible? You, you could find prayers all throughout the Bible. But most people would say, oh, go to the Psalms. The, the Psalms is this ancient collection of poems, of songs that really are prayers to God. And there's a lot of different authors of the Psalms. Uh, there's 150 Psalms, and, and a couple of them are written by Moses. Uh, some others are written by a worship leader named Asaph. Uh, th there's also this group called the Sons of Korah. But by far the most famous and prolific psalmist is a guy by the name of David. Chances are most of you have heard of David. He's the David of the famous David and Goliath. He's the boy who slayed the giant. He's also the shepherd who ended up becoming a king. And he ended up being basically like a prophet that became the forerunner to the coming Messiah. He's the ancestor of Jesus. So David plays a very prominent key role in the history of Israel. But his life was far from easy. For, for instance, David was the youngest in his family. The, the way things worked out in most Jewish families back then was it was kind of birth order. So the oldest had the most prominent spot. And so if, if dad said, hey, I need this done today, oldest son could just look at the next brother and say, um, yeah, you're going to do that. I don't want to do that. But if he has a younger brother, he could say, you know what? You're going to do it now. And it just keeps getting passed down. So poor David, when he turned around to tell his younger sibling, oh, there isn't one. So guess who gets stuck doing it? So David just had the, the, the lowest spot in his family. So if you ever feel like you're left out, I, David's your guy. David could just look at you and say, yeah, I know exactly how that feels to be, be treated like I'm a nobody. There's also a part in David's life where before he became king, he was hired by King Saul to come and play the harp. King Saul just had this temper and just got anguished. The scriptures sometimes talked about like a, you know, like an angel from God came to, 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 you know, torment him. And so David would come to play the harp to try to calm Saul down. A couple of times it didn't work though, because Saul picked up a spear and threw it at David, trying to kill him. And Saul, once he found out that David was named by God supposedly to become the king, to replace him and not Saul's own son, Jonathan, to become the king, Saul sought to kill David. And so for a few years, chased David around the wilderness, seeking to kill him. So if you think that people don't like you and exclude you, then David could look at you and go, yeah, you have no idea. But then once David did become king, he ended up conquering a lot of land, made peace treaties with all sorts of different uh, nations. The, the Israel really began to grow and became almost the superpower of their day. But there came a time where David just started becoming a little lazy. And rather than go out with his army, he, he ended up just staying back home. And as he's just hanging around home, he's out on his balcony and he looks down and he sees this woman bathing and she's beautiful. She's married to someone else. David didn't care. He ends up having her come gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up, doesn't work. So he has the husband killed out on the battlefield. And David takes her as his wife. If you start reading what happens in David's family after that, it becomes a huge mess. 
In fact, he got so bad that one of his own sons, Absalom, tried to overthrow his dad. The whole, many of the country began to try to follow Absalom, and David had to flee for his life. If you ever feel like you've blown it big time, I think David could look at you and say, yeah, I, I understand. So if anyone has the right to begin a prayer with a me-centered focus of God, help me, it's David. And if you go through the Psalms and you just start looking through the ones that say of David, of David, of David, you'll start noticing about half of the time he does starts his prayers off right with God, help me. God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I need your help. But even in those Psalms, these Psalms of lamentation, even as he's pouring out his heart to God, you see in there, David adored God. Like the most important thing to David, ultimately, was the God of the universe. And that's why some of David's psalms, some of these prayers, he can't help but just ignore himself for a bit and just give praise and adoration to God. And so today, I want to look at one of his prayers. I want to see the way that he adored God because I think it's going to help us start to understand what would it look like for us to adore God as well and to begin our prayers with adoration. So we're going to read Psalm 34, 1 through 8. Um, I've invited uh, Tim Corcoran, one of our elders, to come and read that aloud. So would you read silently along as Tim reads for us Psalm 34, 1 through 8. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt in his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Great. Thank you so much, Tim. Today, our outline is going to be sort of like a journalist. We're going to just use the five W's and the one H, the when, why, where, what, how, to, to analyze this. So we're, to begin with, we're going to combine the who and the what. Who or what is it that we are supposed to adore? I think the answer is pretty obvious right there in the very beginning. Verse 1, David says, I will bless the Lord. If you go over to verse 2, you see, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord. Verse 4, I sought the Lord. Like, it's pretty obvious who David is adoring. Even as he's writing this and you keep seeing the words I and me, it isn't about him and what he wants. It's about God and who he is and what God has done. In fact, David adores God so much. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Like David adores God so much. God is the best thing David has ever experienced. He can't help but say, you guys got to come and try this out. Have you ever done that? Like, like trying to recommend something to someone? You know, you, you had a great experience at a restaurant or, you know, you read this book, you saw this movie or you listened to this album and it just moved you. You were in awe. You, in a sense, adored it. And so you wanted to share it with others. But sometimes that's risky, isn't it? Because they might not appreciate it quite as much as you. I remember years and years ago when I, I think I was in middle school, my family was on a, a vacation and my parents had mapped it all out where we were going to stay and we reached our, you know, it, it it wasn't the destination. It was just a stop on our way. And I think we were somewhere in Wyoming. 
And we, we, we reached there, we, we stayed, at, I think we were staying at a hotel, maybe we were camping. But anyway, I remember we went out and ate, and then we kind of had this whole evening to ourselves. And we're trying to decide what we're going to do, and my parents ended up deciding, let's go to a movie. My family almost never did that. And yet we go to this theater, and they only had a two-screen theater. And I think the other movie was some rated R movie, and so our only choice was The Princess Bride. Now, as a middle school boy... This is not the type of movie you want to see. Like, just the name, The Princess Bride. I'm thinking, oh, this is, like, probably about Barbies, like, love stuff. Oh, no, like, I want some car chases and some spies, you know, boy stuff. And so I went in with a bad attitude. I'm sitting there like, this is so embarrassing. I'm not going to let anyone know I'm watching a girl movie. And then I ended up loving it. Had a blast. We laughed. We came out just like shocked. That was such a great movie. So guess what happened? After vacation, we ended up getting home. We started telling everyone about it. There was a family in our church that they really respected my dad. My dad was one of the elders at the church, and, and they just thought the world of him. And so if my dad was raving about this movie, The Princess Bride, they thought, we want to see this too. So when it came out on VHS, this is dating myself, but when it came out on VHS, they rented it and watched it. And we're horrified because it was scary with R-O-U-S's, rodents of unusual size. <laughs> this was a, a, a violent movie because it had sword fights. Like there was, th this was filled with debauchery because there was some drinking in it. Like they just could not fathom why my parents thought this was a great movie. And it actually changed their view of my parents, especially my dad. Because my parents had thoroughly enjoyed it, shared it, and in the risk of sharing it, ended up having someone not feel the same. I think sometimes that's why we are a little private with our adoration of God. Because if we, like, show our exuberance, someone else may look at that and go, yeah, I tasted it and I saw it really wasn't that good. But I almost get the feeling that for David, he doesn't care. Like, he is so in awe of God. He's like, hey, taste and see. I know God is so good. I can almost guarantee you're going to love him. Even if you don't, I'm going to go right on adoring him. Because he is the greatest there ever was and ever will be. There's nothing greater. Everything else fades in the light of the gloriousness of God. I want to get to that place. I want to get to the place where I adore God so much that everything else just fades in the light of how wonderful and great he is. So David makes it clear, who are we to adore? We are to adore God. Our next question is when. When should we adore God? I, again, I think David makes it very, very clear right there in verse 1. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And just in case you didn't quite hear him, he employs uh, a Jewish uh, uh, poetic device called parallelism. He repeats himself again just in the next phrase. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Like all the time, no matter where I'm at, when do I do it? Right now. When is an appropriate time to, to adore God? Now. Which is really easy to do when you've just slayed the giant and all of Israel is singing your praises. Yeah, you can adore God in that moment. But when you're hiding in a cave, fearing for your life because the king wants you dead, that's a little harder to adore God. And yet, if we're going to adore God at all times, 
It means we adore him when things are going wonderful and things aren't. It means our adoration is not to be based solely upon our circumstances. It's to be based upon who God is and what he's already done. And that leads into the next thing. Where? Where do we adore God? And I think David shows us two places. Uh, the fir first one is inside, inside ourselves uh, when we're alone. Verse 2, he says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. He's saying, my soul, inside who I am, it adores God. I, for us to truly adore God, I think it has to take place when we are alone. Now, that's easy. Again, gets back into the, the wind. It's easy when you're standing on top of the mountain, you're looking out over a lake, the trees are all around, the sun is shining, and the eagle flies overhead, and you're just going, wow. Yeah, we, we can adore God in that moment. But when you're standing on top of a mountain and you've slipped and fallen and broken your leg and no one is around to even hear you and you can't get cell phone signal, now it's a little harder to adore God on top of the mountain. Or when you're at the hospital and you've just, your family's just given birth to another child. It's so wonderful as you hold that little one to adore God. But when you're sitting at the hospital next to the bed of a loved one who may not ever walk out again, that's when it gets a little harder. David is saying, if we're going to do this at all times, it's going to have to come from inside, even when we are alone. But it's not just when we're alone. Notice he also says it, the second place that we are to uh, worship and adore God is when we are with others. Verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. When Leanne was, uh, my wife Leanne was in uh, high school, her youth pastor was teaching through Psalm 34. And he came to verse 3, and he said, hey, I know this verse isn't anything about dating or marriage, but I'm just going to point out that this is actually a really good marker for a dating relationship or, or a, a marital relationship. And I am so glad that Pastor Hank Nelson taught that to that youth group because Leanne was attracted to guys that were like three or four inches taller than her, not a quarter inch. I am a quarter inch taller than my wife, just in case you don't believe me. Leanne was attracted to guys that were really, really handy. My hands were only good for playing piano and typing on a computer. I stink at fixing cars. I mean, Luke came over and helped me fix a bike, and I think he kind of saw my ineptitude. I, I'm just not handy like that. Leanne kind of wanted the tall, dark, handsome man. Instead, she ends up with a short, white, nerdy kid from Iowa. But you know what changed her mind? Psalm 34.3, she realized this is a man that I could exalt his name together, that I could magnify the Lord with him. And so I'm thankful for Hank Nelson. This is why Hank ended up helping us exchange vows at our wedding. And it, this, this verse was on our program cover. Because God wants us to exalt his name with others. You need a robust relationship when you are alone, you need to be able to talk to God and learn from him. Your faith cannot be solely based in others. But at the same time, your faith cannot be solely based on others and not have that alone component. There's something so incredibly valuable by coming together. But what contributes to the coming together is when there's something when you are alone. This is why at Riverwood, we encourage you to engage in spiritual disciplines, to take a two-handed approach to your spiritual growth, to do it with others, getting together, but also getting alone in the scriptures, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, I think it's in, um, I can't remember which books it's in. He talks about how we need to be alone together. Like you need to be able to get alone with God and just adore him, to find your identity in him. But then what you get out of that time, you need to bring it into the collective whole. This is why we do Sunday mornings. This is why we encourage people to get into growth groups because something can happen. Now, I know there have been churches that have hurt people and and it makes it really, really difficult to show up on a Sunday because there's been so much pain in the past. And yet something happens when we get together. We create this opportunity for God through this experience, whether it be Sundays or in our growth groups, as we gather with others for the purposes of praising God, learning together, that we begin to learn to adore God more. Because maybe it's something that happens as we sing these songs as one body. Maybe it happens as we get into our growth group and we hear someone say something. Maybe it's when you begin to talk about what you're learning as you're alone and you contribute that into the whole and you help someone else begin to adore God. So who are we to adore? God. When? At all times. Where? When we're alone and when we are with others. And that brings us to probably our most important question. Why? Why should we adore God? Look at verses uh, four through seven with me. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. You see what David's kind of saying? He's saying that the reason that he adores God is because of what God has done for him. I mean, right there in verse 4, he says, I sought the Lord. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And then he basically repeats the same thing in verse six. When he says, this poor man cried, I think he's referring to himself. He says, I I cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him. David can look back in his life and see the moments, not just the great moments when he kills the giant, but even how God protected him when he's in the cave. Even when God was with him and forgives him after his huge blunder. He can look back and see God saved me. God delivered me. God was with me. So why is David adoring God? Because of who God is and what God's done for him. You can do the same thing. You can look back at moments in your life and probably see, here's where God was at work. It might be a glorious day, like a wedding day or a day a child was born to you. Maybe it was a moment in your childhood when you really sensed God close to you. You can look back and see, here are some significant moments where God was at work, and that can lead you to adore him. But if you were a Jesus follower, you can do one more thing that David couldn't do. That is, as you look back, you can see the cross. Because even when you say, well, I want to look at my marriage in my wedding day, but my marriage, Aaron, stinks right now. I'm not sure that I'm really thankful for this. I I want to say it was the day this child was born, but that kid has brought me nothing but a bunch of pain. I want to say it was, you know, this thing, but right now I'm fighting cancer. I'm going through this. It's hard. How am I supposed to adore God at all times when I'm facing this? You can do what David couldn't. Look back and you can see the cross. 
And you can see that Jesus died for your sins, rose again from the dead. And so even if you were in the middle of depression, even if you were in the middle of doubt, even if you were in the middle of disease, you can look back and see, God loves me, he's for me, and he's with me. So why can you adore God? Because of who God is and what he's done, ultimately through the cross and the gospel. So now we got to ask ourselves, all right, so we know who, we know when, we know where, and we know why, but how are we supposed to do this? And I think David gives us three ideas, and I don't think it's only these three ideas, but he at least shows us three ideas. The first one is to seek, to seek God. N notice what David says in verse four. He says, I sought the Lord. In verse five, he says, those who look to him. In verse six, this poor man cried. I think it's crying out to God. You just see him talking about keep coming to God, seek after him. I think when we seek after God, we are acknowledging I am not whole in and of myself. I mean, most of us, we've been trying to make ourselves whole. We've been trying to find happiness and completeness. And, and some of us, we, we try to find it in marriage, or we try to find it through kids, or we try to find it through a job, or we try to find it through money, or we try to find it through entertainment. We, we tried all these things. And David's saying, no, seek after God. Come, taste and see. He's good. And once you truly experience God and you understand this gospel, now you'll begin to understand I'm complete. I, I, I'm fine within God. And so the first thing I think David tells us to do is to seek after him. Second thing I think he tells us to do is to identify with him, to identify with God. Down there in verse 8, after David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, he, he says this, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. To take refuge in something means you're running to something for safety. And I think that means you're running to that with which you identify. Uh, for instance, if two armies are at war with each other and one is starting to win the battle, the opposing army doesn't go, oh no, we need help, we need safety, and run into the enemy city, expecting like, oh, come on in, it's okay, you'll be fine here. No, they're going to run in there, they're going to get killed because they don't identify with the enemy. They're going to run back to their camp. They're going to run back to their city. This is where they're going to be safe. This is where they're going to find refuge. This is where they identify. What do you identify with? Where is it that you run to? Is it running to entertainment or to substances or to certain relationships, where do you find your identity and safety? Because David's saying, blessed is the man and the woman that finds their refuge in God. You are spiritually safe in the hands of God. In fact, Jesus says that those that the Father has given me, those that he's put in my hand, no one can pluck them out. Where's your refuge? Identify with him. So seek him identify with him. And then thirdly, uh, it's remember him. Remember God. N notice what David says. He says there in verse four, I sought the Lord, but now he's remembering. And he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Again, in verse six, this poor man cried. He's seeking after God. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. When we remember what God has done whether it's just in our life or whether it's through the cross, it leads us to adoration. This is why at Riverwood, almost every single week, we celebrate communion. 
Because it creates this opportunity for us to yet again remember what God has done for us through Jesus. And I don't want it ever to become boring, rote, or dry. The opposite. I want it to help you to adore God. Because when you begin to adore God and your heart exults in adoration, everything else begins to fade. And you begin to find Christ at the center of everything you value. And these other things that want to entangle us, they just begin to fall away. So that's why today we want to just create some space for you to do these three things. It's a space for you to seek God, to remember him, and to uh, identify with him. And so here's what we're going to do. Um, I've brought a video today. Uh, it's a famous video um, by a, a, a pastor. Uh, I think it's S.J. Lockridge. And uh, it, it, maybe some of you have heard it. It's a very iconic uh, clip from a sermon. And I want us to listen to it because he's just going to declare the greatness of Jesus. And as we hear this, it's going to remind us. He does it so much better than I ever could. It's so beautiful and powerful and poetic. So I want us to listen in. But then as soon as that little sermon clip is done, the band is just going to begin to lead us in song. And all we're going to do through these songs is declare how great God is. As part of that time, we're going to open up the communion tables. You may come at any moment during these next three songs after the video and partake of the elements. Because as you do, you're basically saying, God, I'm seeking after you. I am not whole in and of myself. As you take those elements, you're saying, Jesus, I identify with you. Your blood was shed for me. Your body was, was broken for me. My sin is forgiven because of you. But then we want to create an opportunity for you to express your adoration. And so we've come up with this idea of this wall of adoration. There's markers over here. And I'm going to invite you to write up there whatever you want. Some of you, it's going to be, God, I need help. And you're seeking him. And that's okay. Some of you, you're going to be just putting up there, God, here's what I appreciate about you. It's, it's his grace or his love or his mercy or his justice. And you might just end up writing one word or two words. Some of you, you're going to need to write up there, God, I remember this. Thank you for this. You're just going to need to adore him for what he's already done in your life. Some of you, you're going to end up writing a paragraph. If you want, you can, you can sign your name like a letter or you don't have to. And, and you don't even have to come to the wall. But this is our time to seek after him, to identify with him and remember what he's done for us through the cross. So let me pray and then we'll watch this video. So Heavenly Father, uh, these next moments are yours. <laughs> That's kind of silly to say because all of this is yours. And yet we right now want to adore you. God, I want you to enrapture us with your presence, with your power, with who you truly are. That we don't find you just adorable, but someone that we truly worship and venerate, that we love and respect and honor. And so, God, would you use all of these elements right now, the video, the, el the, the communion elements, the, the, the writing, would you use all of it to help draw our hearts to you? Because, God, I want us as a church and as individuals to be in awe of you, to truly adore you for who you are. So, God, would you work now in these next several minutes for your glory and for our joy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.